I used to enter a lot of competitions when I was in elementary school. Between the 5th and the 6th grade, I would compete almost every two weeks. And this was exhausting, but also high-key productive. There was this one particular competition that I can never forget about, and it happened when I was 11. So I was competing to be the city's honor student. Being Chinese-Indonesian among mostly native Indonesians in the competition, I stood out since day one, and it was solely for the fact that I was a minority. During the entire competition, I befriended a boy who went by the name Chaka through all the grueling contest days. We talked about our shared experiences of being a racehorse for our parents, despite not having known each other for that long, and I remember that I actually bonded with him. When it was finally revealed that I had won and would represent my city for the competition at the state level, I remember Chaka wailing from his seat, and he was just constantly shouting, How can a China boy even win a competition in Indonesia? This is so unfair. He isn't even from Indonesia. I was supposed to win. He's from China. China. His parents... They were also there, and they apologized for making such a ruckus. But I can't help but wonder if Chaka and I would still be talking if racism and colorism weren't a thing. So, on this episode, let's talk about race. Hi, Edgelings. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy, but like, make it gay. Rather cringy podcast where I talk about my edgy, gay takes on things, either by myself or with friends. Now, since this episode is going to be about rather heavy topics, namely racism and colorism, I urge you to not look away because these things are still happening today. No matter how forward-thinking you think the world has become, I personally don't think that this is going to end anytime soon. And because especially this is a racism problem, it is not just an issue regarding people of color, but also about white people in general. Aside from that, just because some of us belong under the umbrella term people of color, it doesn't automatically excuse us from racism and colorism, because that's still very, very rampant within POC communities. Here's the show with the first ever guest speaker on this podcast. So today we have Mike, my loving boyfriend for 30 gay years, (laughs) (laughs) aka three actual human years, my sunshine, my hopes and dreams, the Ave to my Maria, <laughs> the Jesus, wait, no, stop, the Jesus to my fucking Christ. No, not funny. That's good, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike, how are you doing today? Thank you for asking. I'm doing fine. Thank you. 
so today we're going to be talking about race and color. And you might be wondering, Andy, if we're going to talk about race and color, why bring a white person into the conversation? I thought that, sure, one might think, oh, haven't white people done enough? At the same time, if woke culture is so woke and you just want to promote awareness without actually tackling the issue, then um, what's the point? So I'm not saying that Mike is an awful person. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I think Mike is okay. But I think that it's also very good because we have a white person whom I personally think is very into um, the entire race and color um, conversation because this might sound problematic because he's dating me and I'm like yellow. And um, yeah, so that's the entire reason. And also he's my boyfriend. So I dragged him into this podcast. Coming into this episode, Mike, talking about race and color. What was your initial thought being a white person? Are you nervous? Are you happy to do this? So that is actually a very good question. Thank you. I'm not sure. So my first thought was just like you just mentioned, why should I be here? Right. So this is a conversation that should be had with people who are not white. Right. Because I I profit off of racism. Right. I have white privilege. And so I'm I'm a little bit apprehensive because I don't want to overtake the conversation. And I'm not sure how much I can contribute to this, but I'm very happy to be here. I think I also feel that having been with you for a very long time, I know for a fact that you're a white person or (laughs) Caucasian. I feel like I have a lot of discussions with you behind closed doors and everything, talking about race and color in a very constructive way. And I haven't been able to replicate the same kind of feeling with anybody else. And I think that's why I'm also with you. Because if you're not like this, then, you know... I would dump you. Right. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. Yes. So um, let's start the entire conversation again with um, remember how it was, I think, after the first round of lockdown was done. And this is a racist encounter from my side. If you remember, I was um, waiting for you and a couple of friends um, smoking in front of a bar. I was listening to some music and a couple of, um, I think prepubescent teenagers boys oh they weren't kids i, I they remember were, you said they were like 11 year olds like right so not really teens. Yeah. more like kids fine mm-hmm. they're children they didn't know better but they oh. basically came <laughs> um and they just came up to me and then they started saying konnichiwa nihao konnichiwa I I didn't think much about it, but I remember that I told you, the people that I met that day, about this, and you guys were super duper bothered. I don't know. I think the point of me telling you this, and also, like, remember when when, um, Corona again started, and I went on the bus, and of course, um, people, when they see Asian people in the wake of, like, Corona, and there are, like, news about Corona starting in China, old people would be seated at the front, And then some of these old people, uh, upon seeing me, they would just be covering their mouths and faces. And then they would just like kind of sit away from me. And I also didn't think much about it because I kind of felt like I understood at the time where everything is coming from. And I understand that it's also partly because they want to kind of protect themselves, although it's from something that is totally untrue, right? 
but right. I was just uh, I was just wondering why uh, did it bother you so much? I mean, so to be honest with the kids, I'm not even that surprised. Okay. So if their school environment is just like mine, then while not everybody was white, there were basically no Asians. Mm-hmm. So this might be different actually here because I grew up in the country, right? Very Not a small school, but very typical German, as in there were a lot of Turkish people and then white people. But that's essentially it. We had like two black kids. And if, if it's the same for these kids, then I'm not really surprised, to be honest. They just see something that they're not familiar with and then they're like, okay, I need to make fun of this somehow or... Mm. Right, because racial humor is somehow seen as rebellious. Yes. Right. Would and you it's, say it's um, edgy? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, like it. It is sort of like a like a cool thing. Yeah. Right. It's just like when people say fag. Right. I think mm-hmm. it's the same mm-hmm. thing. Right. It's supposed to be a little bit subversive. It's obviously also homophobic, but, but mm-hmm. like being cool is a part of it. And so for these kids, particularly, if they were in a group. And I think it's part of it. But I'm really much more surprised by the old people. Why? I mean, so, I mean, the reasoning behind you interpreting what they did as racist is because of Corona supposedly starting in Wuhan, right? Yes. Right. But why are you surprised? Well, because Germany having the history around racial issues that we do, Mm -hmm. I would suspect like old people being like, 70 and up to be very much in touch with how destructive these racial prejudices and racist attitudes can be though then again right so turkish people have been a part of germany for at from at least the 70s probably even earlier and they actually make up a considerable part of the german population particularly well especially <laughs> in uh, in urban environments yes Right, so take Berlin. It's it's in some districts. It's really very Turkish, um, but still, people harbor a lot of negative feelings towards Turkish people. Yes. Right, and it's always the same. Right, racist rhetoric is always the same bullshit. Oh, they're gonna replace us, right? Just like yeah. the Tucker Carlson bullshit that, yes. he's, that yeah. he's doing, or it's oh, the they have a different culture and religion and blah blah mm. blah. But it, so so maybe the old people shouldn't surprise me. So another part of this is probably also anti-Asian racism. Like that was, I don't think it was ever cool for us. Plus you you hear about it much less. Yes. Right? Because racism and colorism usually align. But with, with Asian people, at least when it comes to like East Asian people, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they kind of, they, they don't align anymore, right? Yes. Because they're not dark. Right, which is what we what yeah. people say about African people or other black people. And you remember what I always say, right? Like East Asians um, act like they're basically the whites of the East, right? Because they're the absolute worst when it comes to like colorism within their own communities, um, with all like whitening creams, blah blah blah, beauty standards that are so Westernized that they don't even realize how damaging everything is, right? Sure. Though, I mean, the, the, the colorism thing really is pervasive through yeah. all cultures. Like, I mean, look at the the examples in America, right? What, what white people superimposed on black people what, in regards to beauty, right? And how black people being oppressed kind of took that on and then started trying to lighten their skin and like 
it is awful. So I think this is really pervasive. Yeah, but since you're bringing up America, but do you think that because of how the U.S. has been dealing with racial inequality and slavery for like centuries, it's not an issue that is just brought up? And they're a lot more vocal about it. I don't know. I just get the general feeling that race is not a really big thing here, despite the fact that there are a shit ton of immigrants also within Europe. Basically, Germans, you're born here. You can speak German all you want. But like a lot of white people in Germany would still think that they're not really Germans. Right, because this this harkens back to to the Nazi ideology. It's essentially the same thing as the one drop rule. One drop of non non white blood makes you non white. Oh God, it's awful. Yes. It, it is awful. Um, but but you see this everywhere. Like mm-hmm. Barack Obama is the first black president, yeah. even though he's half white. He also lived in Indonesia. You know, know that, right? Hmm. No, I didn't. He loves nasi goreng. We we can cut out the 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 Barack Obama shit then. <laughs> the CIA is knocking on our doors. But like, no, so, because I do think that in France, they talk about race, especially when it comes to black people much more because they just have more black people. Um, But I completely agree that German people don't really like talking about race. But part of this is obviously World War II. The other reason, but this also comes back to World War II, is that we don't have a word. So you, okay. so you mm-hmm. can translate race to German, but you cannot use that word. Because yeah. as soon as you use the German equivalent of race, you sound like a Nazi. Wh- whatever you do, you just sound like a Nazi. The deeper the conversation went with Mike, I noticed the weight of this entire conversation for him. Being a German, a nation with a loaded, heavy history when talking about race. I realized how careful he was trying to be, all the while making point after point. I also thought to myself that I'm still very uninformed and ignorant about many aspects of racism and colorism in Europe, so that definitely has to change. After a while, our conversation wandered off into the colorful universe of RuPaul's Drag Race, a reality competition TV show about drag queens who often talk about race and color, and to one queen in particular, whom Mike and I really, really adore. Can I just talk about Simone's amazing dress? So this ties in really well to this episode, right? Because when they had the, was it the Fascinator runway? It was, right? The headpiece runway? Yeah. So when the queens walk out onto the main stage to, like, to do the runway, they turn, they turn around a corner and then they face the judges and walk straight ahead. And when Simone turned the corner, you just saw her in this really structural, but really plain dress, white, and then this headpiece, like really elaborate, also very structured. And then she turned around to go and leave the main stage again. And then on the back, in like red sequins, it said, say their names. And there was Mm. a bleeding bullet hole on the back. It was actually multiple bullet holes, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And I think, so, so I... I saw this, we watched this, and from the off, they played Simone in a confessional actually saying the names of all the black people who died because of police brutality. And, like, I watched this and I teared up, and, it mm. like, from that moment onwards, it was, like, my favorite, my favorite, favorite runway, not only on the season, but of all time on Drag Race. Like, I think it's the, the best thing I've ever seen in drag. 
Simone is a goddess. One thing that I really wanted to continue from the Simone point, you know how Simone really appreciates black culture and she brings it every single time to her performances, to her looks and everything. And recently you've been very into, I don't know, like YouTube videos of Khadija about mm. um, performative blackness. So maybe let's first give credit where credit is due. Her name is Khadija Mbawi. So in, she put out this video basically talking about this practice that most people have when they chat online, for example, on Twitter, but also text messages, WhatsApp chats, where people would just respond with a, with a GIF or a GIF if you're fancy, right? And usually, oftentimes, it's a black person. So she's very open in her video and says she's not criticizing anybody for this, but she says, hey, be mindful of this because this feels exploitative. Because this sort of harkens back to the minstrel shows that were done where people wore actual blackface, not yes. digital blackface. Long, long time ago. Right, not that long ago. People did it 10 years ago. People what? probably still do it now. Not the minstrel shows, but the blackface. Yeah, blackface. Yeah. Right. And the deal really is, right, you, you exploit a black person to, I don't know, to show something, right? Either to ridicule black people themselves, or in the case of digital blackface, what you do is you take a black person and use them as a tool to show your emotional state. And then people will say, oh, but these black people, haha, they're all so expressive. Centuries and centuries, people have been ridiculing black people for the exact things, for saying things with AAVE. I can't remember. What does AAVE stand for? So AAVE is African American Vernacular English. Yes, that. And um, I just feel like I won't do it again. That is exactly showing people that it's okay to make fun of black people for all the things that they've been put down for. I mean, but it, but but it goes even further, right? Because when a black person is black, right? They don't need to do any more. When they're just black, yes. They get ridiculed. For people will find a way to ridicule or be racist, whatever. But when a white person or a non-black person does it, it's suddenly cool. Yes. Right? So so we see this a lot with which is also digital blackface with people using AAVE, first of all, wrong, but also in an attempt to be cool. The black person, right, they can't take their skin off. They will always be black. But when you have these performative acts of blackness, right, this is just an act, right? You can, you can leave it aside. A white person using AAVE on Twitter to gain followers or likes in, in their next tweet can go back to, let's say, more standard varieties of English and then there will be no repercussions, right? But when a black person uses AAVE, they get criticized and they get told to speak proper English and all this bullshit. Yes. So it's really just the same as taking shoe cream or makeup and putting it on your face yeah. and then washing it off at the end of the day. Yeah. But you get praised and then you move on with your life and it's inconsequential. As subtle as digital blackface might seem, let me make this abundantly clear. The rise of the use of black voices by non-black individuals on platforms like TikTok feels wrong. Very wrong, in fact. I personally feel that it's as wrong as non-black people sporting cornrows, which is essentially racial identity theft. And once again, 
a case of exploitation of black voices for white causes. After the break, let's talk about race and color in the gay community. And we're back. You're not on Twitter True. at all. But you remember this? there was this tweet, what's not racist but feels racist? And I just had to say white people dating white people. Hmm. Do you agree? Completely and- agree. And I think I told you at the time. It is especially weird and feels even more racist, I think, in same-sex relationships. Especially yes. with gay white dudes. Yes. Right? Cis gay white dudes. When they're together and they always look like brothers, right? This yes. isn't a stereotype. This is fact. They all look like brothers. Yes. Adam and Adam walking down the street. Like, <laughs> it does feel kind of racist. Yes. Racism is something that is intertwined when talking about preferences. I personally think that my place on the spectrum of preferences is better than most other people's. As long as you're a boy and I think that you're interesting, then I'm down. This would be the case with everybody if I live in my ideal world. But I don't. The fact is, most people might not blatantly say that they don't want to have sex with Asians or only specifically look for black guys to fuck them on Grindr. But this doesn't change the fact that most people somehow still tend to gravitate to people of their own ethnic group. Some say that they're not racists, they just won't sleep with people of a different skin color, which feels borderline racist. On the other end, we have people who say that they're so not racist that they end up specifically having significant others who are not of their own skin color, which again feels borderline racial fetishization. Whatever people do, it seems like finding a common ground is difficult. Because how just and righteous should one be? Perhaps the best way to go about this is to just be respectful and look at the people, not at the ethnic group, culture, skin color. That, that, that was kind of good. And uh, and then we see that when people want to jerk off online, they can just look up their racial fantasies and explore under the shroud of anonymity, creating an even bigger racial rift in the porn industry. We can't talk about the gay community without talking about gay porn. So, Mike, previously, you've mentioned to me that the term, or the search term, interracial, made you uncomfortable. Why is that? To me, the whole interracial porn, I mean, it's in the title, right? It's in the category name. You essentially reduce the performers in these videos to just being tokens. And then you fetishize this mixing of people that shouldn't go together. This seems to be like the undertone, at least the one that I'm getting. And then you have all the other shit. If you, (laughs) which is becoming vanishingly rare, but if you have porn videos with story, then people are always super reduced to these very stereotypical roles. 
Yes. Right. You always have the, you all know what I'm talking about, right? That the stereotypical black person and they always have a humongous penis and they're all super chiseled and they talk in AAVE and they're portrayed as being kind of uneducated. And then you have a white person that's like submissive to the black person. And it's like, it all feels very icky to me. Now, some people have argued that if POC adult performers want to make money, then they have to succumb into one of these categories. You name it. Categories like ebony, exotic, oriental. Words that I used to see a lot on porn sites while growing up. And I wonder, do the categories need to be so racially charged? Sure, we do need keywords to to look for porn. But do we need the term ebony? No. We can use black. Black is a completely normal term, whereas ebony goes back to the fetishization, tokenization of black people. So I think that would be a very easy change. But this change is inhibited by the fact that we're using these tube websites, Mm -hmm. right? Where you have these random uploaders upload videos that are pirated. And then usually they break it down to some dumb category, which is ebony, interracial. Yes. Sometimes even oriental oriental exotic all Mm -hmm. this bullshit i mean we have this problem it's not only racist right it's also ableist yes and it's ageist Mm -hmm. it's colorist it's all of the above but i think this can be easily remedied by having better websites where people pay for their porn right where sex workers actually get real money even amateur workers so we've seen only fans recently rise to popularity (laughs) popularity (laughs) and i think right this is an amazing first step yes right because then you can follow a person you can directly pay them and then you can jerk off watching their videos yeah and then you can actually learn from them right because they will never i'm assuming they will never categorize themselves as bbc Oh, God. (laughs) Ebony bullshit, right? All this shit you could totally get rid of by having ethical standards around porn. I love how you mentioned ethical porn. What the fuck is ethical porn? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. So, so, I'm, I'm also not an expert. Porn is very much unethical in a lot of ways. So, porn casting, especially when it comes to non white performers, is awful bottoms are usually very femme very thin very twinky boys and tops are the very masculine muscular yes guys with a big dick blah 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 and this sort of carries over into casting in terms of race you yes. have the same thing right you i'm not sure if i've ever seen a black performer who on a, no on a video who has an average dick I mean, yeah, like, have you ever seen anybody, especially if they're tops with average-sized dicks? Let's come back to the term interracial. If you really want a big dick person, then you would get a black person. If you really want a bottom-bottom person, as in the receiving end, you would get an Asian. Because that's what submission has been tied to. (laughs) So I think there is a lot to unpack here. Right, one thing is the size queen bullshit that gay people have. The Which uh, is absurd. I mean, of course it's absurd. It's meaningless and ludicrous, mm-hmm. and it's racist. Racist stereotypes can also be positive. Having the stereotype that all black people have big dicks, it seems positive at first. Yes. But it can be very detrimental. By probability, <laughs> 
there will be black people with average dicks, or small dicks even. And this can be very damaging for these people's mental health. But yes, we, we, we definitely do need a do-over. Yeah. So, and of course, there are a lot of terms within the gay community, right? But I would like to bring up this term that I like to talk about a lot. And it's rice queen. So a rice queen generally just means a non-Asian gay male who's more often than not physically attracted to Gaysians. In the earlier planning days of this podcast, I wanted to ask you if you're a rice queen. And I thought that, first of all, I know that you're not. And I thought that I wanted to be edgy like that. But then I also realized that, oh my god, I don't want people to think that my boyfriend is a fucking racist. Because he's not. And I love him a lot. And I don't want to give the spotlight to him. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say I love you too. (laughs) No, we don't do that here. We don't do that. Being a Gaijin boy in Germany, I've gotten a ton of messages. Mostly from older white men on dating apps. In which they would ask if I could give them a sensual Asian massage And as payment, they would fuck my tight Asian butthole. Normally, I would want to reply, Instead of an Asian massage, why don't I just shove some Asian chopsticks down the pee hole of your bratwurst, Mr. Man? But I don't think that would translate well in German. Other times, when I actually talk to people that I want to fuck, they would just brush me off by saying, Sorry, you're really nice, but I'm only looking for big dicks. And then these people would often message Mike in the hopes of getting fucked by him. And you might think, what about if you ask for a threesome? Time and time again, it would just come down to people not wanting me because they think that because I'm Asian, I have a small dick. I mean... I don't have a 7-incher, so they're not technically wrong. Stuff aside, because of such messages, I have the sinking feeling in my stomach. Every time I try to talk to people online in Germany, would they just expect me to be a stereotypically submissive Asian bottom? Like, how much do I need to change myself? to fit into these boxes of race and color that I didn't even create. All for the sake of validation from people who, from the get-go, think less of me. And if I can think of this now, what about all the POC kids who feel like they either need to strip their racial identity to be accepted in a globalized world which is still very, very white, or just continuously live hating white people in general for all the racist things imposed onto them. I have to, yet again, reopen this internalized racism chapter of my life because, oopsie-daisy, I'm not done with it yet. In fact, I'm not done arguing, fighting, and discussing in general about race and color until the world is a slightly better place. I'm just glad that, with me, I have somebody who also shares this sentiment. Just note that we're still learning, 
and we're still trying to find a place in this discussion. What do I want the listeners to take away from this? I think it's important to question the things that you see as established, right? The things that happen to happen around you every day, you need to look at them and think, is this okay? Does this make sense? Is there a reason for this? And if there isn't, because it's racist, for example, you need to fucking challenge that. Ask a person who ha- who might know more about it. So in my case, I'd probably ask a person of color. Like? You. Oh, interesting. <laughs> ask the advice or the opinion of a person who actually lives the experience that you're just on the outside looking in. I think when you ask people about racism... It's important to remember that people aren't representatives. My Asian boyfriend isn't the representative of the Asian community. Which other boyfriends do you have? Ha ha ha. Like, no, but people aren't the representatives for their community. Because if you do that, it's again tokenizing. It's again racist. It's mm-hmm. just like saying, oh, I've always wanted a gay best friend. Because then we can go shopping and he can do my makeup. It's homophobic. Yes. It's tokenizing. It's awful. But question and then have conversation. How about you? I think it's very important for people to just generally understand that as much as we would like to think that we aren't racists, we're still all within the spectrum of racism, even if it's just a tiny, tiny bit. And it is never, ever shameful to acknowledge the fact that we still have biases and we still have prejudices against different cultures, different ethnic groups. I think that that shouldn't drive us into a point of xenophobia. It should all drive us to a point of learning more. The man who murdered George Floyd back in May 2020, Derek Chauvin, was recently found guilty in court. This, hopefully, is the first step into the right direction, and it is long overdue, but we'll get there. Black Lives Matter. Stop Asian hate. Racism and colorism aren't going to go away anytime soon. Sure, people are more aware about it, and people nowadays generally think that racism is bad, but we have to remember that behind closed doors, conversations cannot be heard, and these voices are often loud. Racism is, I think, just like a stain that will grow bigger and smaller in undulating waves. One might say that we should just tackle the roots of this rotten problem. It might be cultural, it might be religious, and even if we do, Generations will still need time to be rid of all these inhumane acts of people putting down other people for basically being bored. Whenever I have deep conversations about race and color, I always go back to this very gut-wrenching interview that Amata Aidu gave in 1987. She is a poet, academic, feminist, and activist from Ghana. During this interview, When she was asked by a white interviewer regarding racism and the consequences of colonialism, don't you think that it's over now? I will never ever forget Ama Ata Aidu's bone-chilling answer 
because this was again back in 1987, and she just said, Over? Over where? Is it over? Is it over? Hi, this is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy But Like, Make It Gay. Where did you find this podcast? Eh, I guess wherever you get your podcast from. Khadija Mbawi is a YouTuber who talks about race and its impacts. I have included the link of her channel in the description, so you should check her out. Music this episode is by Waterboy and Dream Heaven. New episode coming out in two weeks. Bye bye.